welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Froggy. And this week we're talking about Season 2, Episode 14, Innocence. Ooh. And like we said last week, Jackie's back with us. Hi. Yay. It's great to be here. Even though the, even though the um, notes on our episode say, yay, Angelus. <laughs> Listen. But we know Mary. Look, there's a lot through this episode where I'm like, I love him. <laughs> She doesn't like Angel. She likes Angel. Don't like Angel. I love Angelus. Angelus is my favorite. Uh, of course, of course, he is. That's why we're going to talk Angelus and rocket launchers. <laughs> Your two favorite things. Angelus is a terrible bad guy, though. That's the thing. That's the thing about him is like David Boreanaz is good at playing that like bad evil character, but Angelus as a like villain, villain be like the way he strategizes is just not. It's he's oh not no smart. no he's so ridiculous. He is <laughs> he is so ridiculous. Mike's the one who's like actually smart. He's like yes. I don't think we should be doing this, and Angelus is like yeah let's do it, and Spike's like no thanks. Yeah no, which is I- interesting because in the beginning it was definitely portrayed as a reversal right. because like. Spike, mm-hmm. when he first became a vampire, was just like, yeah, I'm going to fight everything. And Angelus is like, uh, you're going to get us found out. Please stop. Calm down. Calm down. So I, I wonder if it's just the, the like having been pent up. Like Angelus has been pent up for like a right. hundred years. Right. And now he's like, let's just destroy the world. Yeah, he's like, let's just fuck shit up. <laughs> Which we're also going to talk about how this, this, I have a lot of thoughts on the curse. We'll get to it throughout the episode. I just got a lot of thoughts on that. It's, it's not the best. <laughs> it makes no goddamn sense is what I it know. is. It really, it is not, it is not the best I appreciate it as a plot device because, you know, like the, we say this all the time because plot or because yeah. we have to yeah. get to this point, you know, they, they wanted to have a good character turn bad and in this story, how do you do that in an instant? You know, because it would be different if we were talking about a show like Breaking Bad where it, where it builds up over time. Yeah, yeah. You know, the character Brian Cranston plays in the beginning is like a mild-mannered teacher who's like, maybe I'll dabble in this. And then by the end, he's like full-on bad. Um, but they had to do it in, in an episode, in a season, and it's not believable without some kind of like – MacGuffin instruments, yeah. you know, Deus Ex Machina thing coming yeah. in. I know the creator was also very worried about like the show getting boring once Buffy and Angel were together. Cause it was kind of like, well, there's all this buildup and now they're together. So what now? So he had to like throw something in to keep it interesting. Yeah, of course. But again, like we've, we talked about, I know we talked about before that once, once he gets his own show, then he is a lot more interesting. Yeah. I mean, and, and like you said, we talked about before because th- he's very much painted into a, a corner. Yeah. In this episode, you can't advance his relationship with Buffy too far because you're going to keep defaulting back to well what about the curse yeah that's basically it yep so once you remove him as the love interest he can go a lot farther mm-hmm So, Innocence aired on January 20th, 1998, which is a Tuesday! Woo! Yay! People listening to this podcast are like, why are these mofos so excited about Tuesday? We watch Buffy mostly on Tuesday. Yes. Right, like we all remember it being on Tuesday. Like I yeah, forgot it was not originally. There were jokes on the show about originally. Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. There were jokes on the show referring to it. 
And I did find some old ads about like the new WB and we'll, we'll put them on the social media channels. But along with being the night Buffy moved to Tuesday and the second part, this was also the night Dawson's Creek premiered. Yep. Yeah. So like this was basically what set that like Tuesday that we all remember for like the rest of our high school years. Do we remember it though? Because I didn't watch Dawson's Creek. No, but I remember Dawson's Creek being on after Buffy up until Angel. And then they paired Buffy and Angel together. I, I, because I did theater, a lot of times I was pre- I was setting the VCR. Yeah, this is how old I am. I was like pre-recording it. So I didn't even have to watch or worry about Dawson's Creek being. Yeah, no, I just remember the whole like it would come on after. Yeah, no, I was this I was the same way because yeah, a lot of my time was in high school was in the theater. So anything that I wanted to watch had to be set on the VCR. As again, we we show just how old we are, children. And then we and, watch and it you had house. I had my parents remember me running around being like, "Don't touch VCR, don't touch." Like this is because you could only program one thing at a time. Yeah. yeah so if your parents ejected the tape, or if they messed with the with the um, programming, your episode would be gone. Yes. Because you know you would have to wait till it was shown again in syndication. So here's another thing that I've had so many people complaining about. So I know I talked before that I scan photos for a living and archiving, but another thing that I do is transfer old VHS tapes, people's home movies. I have had so many stories of people taping over their child's first birthday and the wedding and this and that and the other thing and people are like is there any way for me to get this back i'm like no it's gone (laughs) no it's gone that's it so yeah you had to be careful which vhs tape you grabbed so that you didn't tape over something important we all had the vhs tapes with like the episodes labeled on Mm -hmm. the front Mm-hmm. And then we I would watch them at Jackie's house them because she was so used to me being like, "These are sacred. Don't touch them." That I, I, I have those, and I have Sailor Moon. Yeah, <laughs> Sailor Moon. <laughs> I just always liked watching Buffy at your at your house on the weekends because your mom would be like, "What's happening now?" And you're like, "I don't know, Mom. I haven't seen the episode yet." That's my mom with everything. My mom with everything. I would also record Dark Shadows every day. Oh. I remember watching Dark Shadows when I was homesick from school. I love Dark Shadows. I've seen the new Dark Shadows. I have not seen the old Dark Shadows. Oh, I watched I am honestly so surprised much. they have not tried to reboot that as a show. They had they were they were going to they were going to there was a new one that was supposed to be coming out and on CW and I it just didn't get off the ground. Well, yeah. the first problem was they tried to put it on CW. It should That's, be like yeah. an FX show, you know? Yeah, no, it, like they wanted to make it like a teen drama. CW's trying to get back to what WB was in the 90s because CW, I think, is also the one that holds the rights to the Athena Club or has the oh, okay. yeah, the Theodora Goss books about like the daughters of all the great monsters. So CW's trying to get back to being like the... Because, the, I mean... Uh, because their superhero shows are caving everybody's leaving yeah like 
Supergirl's ending this year. Yep. Yeah. They didn't pick up the Green Arrow spinoff. So like they need to bank on something other than the superhero shows. So I think they're trying to go back to like the supernatural stuff. Yeah, yeah they definitely like, need a rebrand. They did. I mean, they did well when they were doing all those vampire series, you know? Yeah. I, I'm not talking about Buffy. I'm talking about um like the vampire diaries yeah, and the originals. Diaries. I didn't I didn't watch those, but um Yeah, they were a lot of fun. They were a lot of fun. And I loved I loved Supernatural back at the beginning. In the beginning, before in the it got beginning. weird and everybody, I don't know. That's It went on a little too long, I think. No, no. They, 15 they, years is a long time. Yes. It, I think it is the longest running sci-fi show on um, network television. Yeah. It, it's so funny because like at the beginning of the run, Jared and Jensen were like, brothers, we're brothers. And then by the end, by after working 15 years with the same person, now they hate each other. Yeah, I've been, that drama keeps popping up on my TikTok page. I love it. I just stopped watching it after a couple of seasons because I was, I mean, it's a problem I had to loop it back into what we're doing. It's a problem I have. I haven't actually seen all of Angel. I stopped watching after a certain time because the plots got a little bit too convoluted for me. Yeah, I did. I did the same thing. Like, I think I I think I ended up eventually watching all of it because I got it on I have it on DVD. So I think I stopped watching Angel somewhere and then picked it back up when Spike went to Angel. And then I think I stopped again because I don't think I've ever seen the the series finale. I have seen the series finale. I I know I definitely saw that. But But it will be. We can cover it here and we can both, we, we can all like talk about <laughs> our feelings. Yes. Yeah. But all right. Our synopsis is conclusion. Angel <laughs> is a changed man after his <laughs> tryst with Buffy. <laughs> Who employs brute force to stop the judge and face her fallen flame. Oh, Meanwhile, God. Willow is burned by Xander and Cordy's flame. Aw. So one of the one of the when I was going through a rewatch of this, something that I posted about on Facebook was I forget the exact wording, but things that teenage Holly learned from watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Don't have sex with a guy or because he will change and leave you. Well, I think that, I mean, that is a... That's definitely the... Yeah, well, I mean, we'll we'll talk about that. I have it in my notes because it's from the commentary. I mean, that was very much... That was very much what they were doing because it is something that in reality could happen. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, women and men... At that age, because women are not to toot our own horn, but (laughs) we mature faster than men. So like we're we're in that age where we're trying to like build relationships and build connections and men are just like, I just want to, you know, just have sex, have sex and screw everything in my path. And I'm not saying that as a generalization. I'm not. No, no, no. Like that. But I, I'm saying that 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 is something that could happen. It is a very no, it is a very teenage thing. And when you think yeah, when you think back to it about how girls are when they're teenagers and how boys are when they're teenagers, because I mean, we we talked about this when, when Mr. Froggy was was on. <laughs> he is a teenage man. It's a teenage man. That was so funny. I like. I had to pause and stop, like, just laugh for a couple minutes. It was really funny. Mary, Mary sent me a text telling me that that you were you were getting a kick out of that. Yeah, I I, I listened to the podcast as I as I jog around the neighborhood, and I just stopped and I was like <laughs> bent over. Well, I, I I'm glad you I'm glad you appreciated that because I didn't even do that on purpose, but that that's definitely what he is. <laughs> 
All right. So what are our international titles, Froggy? Okay. So we do have a few this week. Most of them are some form of innocence. But in Finnish, we have angel or demon. German is the fallen angel. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Italian, a moment of happiness. Japanese, purity. Polish is the last one, and that is end of innocence. Oh, but that one is technically not correct. No. And we'll talk about that one, and we'll talk about why that's not correct at the end of this episode. Yes. The German one, though, even though it sounds beautiful in English... I'm yeah. sure the words are like, it's like, well, actually it's, it's Dirk Fallen Engel. Oh, actually that's really beautiful. Yeah, no. So <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not, it's not as bad as. as take German. everything back. Yeah. No, it's not <laughs> as bad as it usually is. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, I should have remembered that. Cause there's a film called Der Blue Angel on hell. I can't pronounce it in German, but it's. It's basically the same word in English. Yeah. We do get a previously on this week, recapping all the important bits of surprise before going to the factory where the judge waits, kneeling, almost as if in meditation. Spike rolls into frame, turning to Drusilla and expressing his unhappiness at the whole situation. Not only are Angel and Buffy still alive, but they know about the judge. They should be vacating, finding somewhere else to lie low. Drusilla says nonsense, that her angel is too smart to face the judge again. About that. What's Big Blue doing anyway? (laughs) The judge says he's preparing. Well, it's interesting to Spike how preparing looks a great bit like sitting on one's arse. (laughs) He wants to know when do they destroy the world. The judge says his power grows, but it's not yet to full strength. While the judge is saying this to Spike, Drusilla gets a faraway look on her face as if seeing something that's happening elsewhere. Something intense and a little exciting as she goes (laughs) from crying out while collapsing on the floor saying Angel's name to smiling ominously. Back at Angel's, Buffy is still sleeping. That is until she reaches for Angel's side of the bed and finds it empty. Sitting up, she looks around, both confused and a little worried. Where did he go and why didn't he wake her? Lightning flashes as she quietly calls out to him. But he's too busy stumbling about the alley, calling for (laughs) Buffy as he feels his soul leave his body, because what else can that oh no mean? (laughs) A few feet off, a club goer, or possibly a lady of the night. Uh, Which is Buffy's stunt double. That's Sophia Crawford. Oh, oh, that is, yeah, Yeah, that is Sophia. Sophia Crawford is Buffy's stunt double. (laughs) Sees him while taking a small smoke break. She approaches slowly, asking if he's okay, and should she call 911? No longer burdened with said soul, Angelus jumps to his feet. Nah, the pain is gone now. Is he sure? Turning Angela shows her his full vamp face before clamping down on her neck, taking a long sip and then letting her fall as he exhales the smoke from the drag she just took. Yeah, he's all better now. (laughs) So in his commentary, the creator said that when they came back to do the series after the movie, they knew they had to keep it in high school for a while. They had to bounce her age back to 15, making her a sophomore instead of a senior. So the issue of sex was one they were going to have to deal with eventually. Mm Mm-hmm. In a different and some more more serious way, Innocence represents the effort to do that. Basically, what they wanted was a horror version movie of the idea, I slept with my boyfriend and now he doesn't call me. And also, he's killing sex workers in alleys. Yeah. So like like we just said, this is very much the, mm-hmm. I slept with this guy and now he's acting weird. Yep. 
And going along with that, the creator also said the most important part of Buffy, more so than the monsters and the makeup, has always been the emotional resonance. The show only works if it resonates with the audience. And I think we can say all safely say it did because here we are talking about it how many years later? Yep. Yep. This is something I, I love about Buffy because I think um I think there are, you know, I think it was one of, if not the only show on at the time that actually had themes that resonated with people in a way that wasn't being forced. Mm-hmm. So, yes. You know, we, we do talk about the shows that a very special episode of blah, blah, blah. Don't buy like cocaine from your neighbor. Or whatever. <laughs> it's like, I mean, nobody, the thing is, when you are in certain situations in real life, yeah. they're not going to be like those hokey, a very special episode of kind of thing. I'm and- disappointed about how few times people tried to sell me drugs in my life. I know, right? And the, and the thing is, is like, what's funny is whenever I, you know, you're in college and you're at a party and you're like, you're like, oh my gosh, are people going to force me to drink alcohol or do drugs or whatever? And you're, and if you're just like, no, they're like, okay, okay. You know, yeah. and you're like, oh, well, a very special episode of blah, blah, blah told me that you would try to shove these drugs <laughs> into my body. You know, yeah. I think, I think it some of them weren't realistic. And what's funny is, is Buffy is a, a, a supernatural show with like supernatural elements, but it tackles things. And I yes. think a more realistic man. It does. It, it really, and I've, I've said that so many times, like it does handle the very special episode aspects a lot more subtly than most shows aimed at teenagers. Like, you know, that, you know, when we joke about it all the time, again, like it's a very special episode, like you know that they are giving you the message, but they're doing it in a much simpler and straightforward way. They're not, and they're not making a big deal out of it. Like, you know what they're trying to get across to you, but they're not slapping you in the face like so many of those shows do. No. Also, I'm very disappointed about how many people don't try to slip edibles into my kid's Halloween basket. That's my favorite thing. Like no one is giving away their weed for free. That's the thing. Yeah, it's like people pay money for this because they want to be eating their own weed. They don't. They they don't know your children. They don't want them yeah. to be high. Like if it's if it happens, it happens accidentally. But the way that these news reports say it is that your your neighbor is trying to get your child high. I'm like, no, none of my neighbors are going to try to get my child high. Well, it's just like when we were kids, they had that whole thing of there will be razor blades oh, in yeah. the candy. Yeah. You know, I remember my parents used to dump the bag on the floor and like dig throughout it to make sure there was nothing like sketchy, like nails or razor blades in the candy. <laughs> and I'm like, again, nobody is like, ha ha ha, I'm going to like like put razor the thing is if if you're a psychopath Mm. you wouldn't see the results of that most of the people that's exactly it who Mm -hmm. are psychopaths are like hanging around to see you know what what their end result is they want to know that they want to know that they caused chaos they don't i know it's just (laughs) 
So there's also a bit in there about how alongside emotional residents, shows need rocket launchers. <laughs> and <laughs> that party of five, while a great show, suffered from a lack of rocket launchers. I think a lot of shows at the time suffered from a lack of rocket launchers. I know. That is I that know. is actually one of my favorite quotes from the creator. Because <laughs> I like I watched the commentary years ago. I just use transcripts now when I do this because it's also much easier on me to be able to like cut and paste from the transcript and i for years i just kept repeating like party of five great show ultimately failed due to lack of rocket launchers but also the other funny part about that was they were they considered having a tank finance said no yes but finance said no well and, i can uh, understand because it was you know yeah it was and that. it was our it was our old friend david greenwald that suggested the rocket launcher. He did. He did. Good for him. Yes, yes. He's getting over that. I like his messed up mind. I know. I know. <laughs> because it's so, I mean, that's the other thing is like, this is this was a show for teenagers that were weird, you know? Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes. we couldn't watch Party of Five or Dawson's Creek because it didn't resonate with us. And then the other sci-fi shows we're really geared towards adults. I yeah. watched them. Like I watched Xena Warrior Princess, but that was more of an adult, you know, the characters are adults and it's a little, yeah. even for sci-fi, I guess looking back, people might think it's hokey, but it was an adult show. Yeah, you know? no, but Buffy was for It had for very us. hot gods yeah. of war on it. Yes. What? Like that whole show, they were oh. just like, they were just like, let's just give everybody eye candy. We're going to make everyone hacked naked and everyone's going to be hot. And I was like, I'm on board with this. And thankfully, Xena is still awesome years later, while Hercules turned out to be a Republican ha- asshole. Oh, God. Yeah. He's... Uh, and his show wasn't as good as Xena's anyway. It was not no. as good as Xena's. No one's watching Hercules anyway. I always said, I always said, if I ever meet um, Kevin Sorbo? Not not Kevin Sorbo. No, no, no. I'm thinking, oh, God, why is my brain farting? Lizzie No, he played Cupid on that show. Oh, Carl Urban. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Why couldn't I remember Carl Urban? But no, I always said if for some, like if I get to meet Carl Urban and do, you know, an autograph signing, I'm going to take a picture of him as Cupid. Yes. To the autograph signing. Like, that's my that's my goal with all these like different celebrities. I want to get their most obscure role and have them sign a picture of it. I like it. So credits. We return from the credits to Buffy's house where she is doing her best to come in the back door as quietly as possible, most likely so as not to disturb her mom if she's still sleeping. She heads for the steps but only makes up about two of them before Joyce yells good morning before coming around to see Buffy. She turns but maintains her distance, even moving up a step as Joyce approaches, like she's afraid her mom can tell just by looking at her what transpired the night before. Her mom asks if she had fun, and for a moment, Buffy doesn't know what to say. Does she know? No. She's talking about the round robin and how Buffy supposedly stayed at Willow's the night before. Oh, right, Willow. Yeah, tons of fun. Willow's a real fun machine. Joyce asks if she's hungry, and Buffy says not really. She just wants to go take a shower. Okay, well, if she hurries up, Joyce can run her to school. As she goes to move away from the stairs, Joyce asks if something's bothering Buffy. What? No. Why? She just seems... Joyce shakes her head and moves towards the kitchen as Buffy finishes heading up the stairs. At school, Xander enters the library, telling the others that the bus depot was awash. No vampires, just the overwhelming sense of depression that usually goes along with the Sunnydale bus depot. Giles confirms that the docks and airports were also a bust, so then that means the judge guy has already been assembled. Catching on to everyone's doom and gloom look, Xander asks what's wrong. 
other than the fact Spike and Drew have a fully working judge. Where's Buffy? Willow says she never checked in. Okay, well then they gotta go find her. They gotta go to that place, the factory. That's where they were held up, right? And do what? Xander looks at Cordelia from her place upon the checkout counter. Be afraid and die? (laughs) Xander tells her that no one is looking for her to come. That if the vampires need grooming tips, they'll call. Cordelia actually looks a bit hurt by that comment. Giles says he agrees with Cordelia that if Buffy and Angel were somehow harmed, then the rest of them stand no chance. Yeah, well, those with feelings are going to go do something about it. Again, how do you dislike Xander? Yeah, he's a little snippy towards Cordelia, but he's ready to go face certain death just to make sure his friends are okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I do like Cordelia, though, being, you know, she being the smart voice here saying like, this is a good idea. Yeah. No, like we've we've said before, like Cordy finding her her place within the Scooby gang, she just fits right in. She just yeah. eases her way in and it works. It does. Like she I I like Cordelia acclimating to the group. We love a good Cordy moment. We do, we do. Jenny calls his name, but Willow says no, he's right. They're all well, she's very upset and can't think of a word right now. Aww. But they're going to the factory. They start to head out right as Buffy is coming through the library doors. Buffy! They were just going to rescue her. Some of them, anyway. <laughs> Giles assures them that he would have come as Jenny asks where Angel is. He didn't check in with them? No. Cordelia asks what happened as Giles asks about the judge. Is he? No assembly required. He almost killed them. Angel was the one who got them out. Why didn't she call? Well, they had to hide. They ended up in the sewers and then the hiding came splitting up. He really hasn't checked in. Willow is sure he'll show up. Yeah, yeah, of course. Giles says they need to stop the judge and asks what Buffy can tell them. Not a lot, unfortunately. She kicked him and it felt like a sudden fever. She can only imagine what would happen if he got his hands on her. Giles says in time, he won't need to, that he'll be able to reduce them all to cinder with a look. Also, Buffy says not the prettiest guy in town. So I have a note about this taken from... (laughs) the the book of monsters aside from spiny headed guy who i know is one of jackie's favorites yeah i love all the people with mr trick i love that whole i i kind of i i'm kind of bummed that he wasn't a villain for longer because i i think yeah i i forgot i forgot how short of a time mr trick was in the show until i started to to rewatch it again I think that actor was like very sassy and fun. And oh, compelling. I loved him. I loved yeah. him. Yeah, especially when he's going through all the different, <laughs> the different demons and stuff. Yeah. And stuff. <laughs> whatever, whatever you are. <laughs> so aside from our friend Spiny Headed Guy, the judge is one of the most colorful villains. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. Apparently, after they'd done his makeup, Marty realized he just looked like a giant smurf. (laughs) (laughs) And that blue is actually not that intimidating. So they just started sticking with like neutral like grays and stuff because they were like, ooh, when we make them colorful, it doesn't always work. Yeah. (laughs) And that that actor who plays the judge is the same actor who played Luke. Yes. I I love him. And he was on Kindred. Yeah. Yes, we love Kindred. Yes. He, he. He has, he, especially in the 90s, he did a lot of prosthetics work. And because when you see Mark Thompson without the prosthetics, he looks like he's wearing a prosthetic. He like has a very square, distinctive face. So once they get the prosthetics on there, it really brings that out. 
Giles says he's going to continue searching, look for a weak spot. The rest of them should get to class. Jenny agrees, saying she too should head to her classroom, but that she'll see what she can find on the net. (laughs) Xander says after class, he'll come back and help. Cordelia says she's sure he'll find something useful, as long as it's in an I can read book. (laughs) In the hallway, complete with 90s-tastic posters about not drinking and driving and volunteering. Willow catches up to Buffy. She doesn't think Angel went after the judge alone, does she? No, no, she just wishes he'd called. She needs to talk to him. They head up the steps as we learn Jenny was listening in. Back in the factory, Drusilla is laying on the table, staring up at the ceiling. Rolling up beside her, Spike asks if she's feeling better, and she tells him that she's naming all the stars. (laughs) He reminds her that she can't see the stars. That's the ceiling. Also, it's day. (laughs) Oh, she can see them, but she's named them all the same name. There's terrible confusion. He then asks if she's seen any further about what happened to Angel. Well, Angelus enters trying to be as extra as Spike normally is. (laughs) And doing a fairly good job of it. Oh, yeah. Turns out he moved to New York, trying to fulfill that big Broadway dream. Tough sledding. Until one night, the star twists her ankle. Spike says he really doesn't give up. I just have to pause here. Who in the writer's room really loves 42nd Street to the point where they had Angel talk about it? Uh, The creator, because he wrote this episode. Well, no, but here's the thing is when you're in a writer's room, yeah, the creator, you... So people are assigned the way right like uh, episodic television works is like you're assigned an episode, but everybody comes up with ideas for these episodes. Like you might go home and write it, but there could be other people like putting in you know what things or working on it. So I mean, I, maybe he does. Maybe it's him that. Like, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the 42nd Street reference is David Greenwald. Yeah, let's just say that because <laughs> you like David Greenwald. <laughs> um, because I mean, he slovenly, had the Marilyn Monroe like. Yeah, we're gonna go with David Greenwald. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Spike says he really doesn't give up. As long as injustice exists in the world. As long as scum like him is walking around, well, rolling around the earth. Oh. He'll be there. Look over his shoulder. He'll be there. Spike suggests that Angel look over his shoulder. (laughs) As the judge is standing there, ready to take him out. The judge lays a hand on Angelus's chest and nothing happens. But Spike doesn't notice that right away and so asks about it hurting. Angela says it does itch a little. Frowning, Spike wants to know what's going on. Why isn't Angel being burned to a crisp? (laughs) Angela says, maybe he's broken. (laughs) While the judge says he's clean. Clean. You mean, Spike looks incredulous as Drusilla looks delighted. (laughs) The judge confirms it saying, there's no humanity in him. Angela couldn't say it better himself. Looking at him, Drusilla whispers an angel before he says, yeah, baby, I'm back. (laughs) <laughs> Spike wants to know if it's really true and Angelus confirms that yeah it is so no more of this I've got a soul nonsense what can he say he was going through a phase <laughs> during this conversation Angelus walks alongside the table using it to strike a match David loved that moment that is a good moment yeah he, yeah he said it was one of his favorites it was just it was so cool and the whole scene just gels so well I love how offended Spike is by the fact that Angel is not burning after the judge, <laughs> the judge touches him. <laughs> I like this dynamic because, Mary, you mentioned in the last episode that they had intended to kill Spike 
mm-hmm. at the end of the whole Drusilla trial thing. And then it would be Angel and Drusilla. But I love this dynamic where it's kind of, it sets it up for the finale where it's Angel versus Spike kind of fighting over Drusilla. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then they, the other the other thing was they were going to, they had the idea of Angel killing Spike. Yeah, too. so I I, they, I think they went multiple rounds on when Spike would die. Yeah. Because like- And the audience is like, no! <laughs> right, because like you look at the end of What's My Line Part 2 and you can clearly see that like there was a chance Spike couldn't come out of that. Yeah. But then they were like, okay, no, like part of the reason Spike is set up to be so cool is that like when Angelus comes and kills him- it just further shows how like badass Angelus is and how formidable he is as a villain that he takes out Spike. And then Angelus and Drusilla were supposed to go off together. And that's why I'm always like, I want to see the original storyboards. Yeah. Like I want to see where we go from there because had they gone that route, that would have changed everything that comes after. Yeah. Like season three would have been entirely different. Yeah. I think the moment that that we I, I like how they actually did it, you know, how they went forward with this though, because I think for us the moment that Angel became truly bad is when he killed Jenny. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because yeah. for us we we love Jenny as a character, as an audience. And, you know, you can have all these bad villains, whatever, coming in and creating these bad situations. But when you actually have a character kill killed that everybody loves and you're like oh man this is and not just spike is bad so i don't think i don't think having him kill spike would have had the same audience reaction as no no because i i remember that moment in passion when he snaps her neck like that was and then not just the fact that he killed jenny but then the fact that he took the time to set all that up at giles's house and to well, fuck with Giles, like we'll talk really, a lot about that yeah. when we get to passion, because there was a lot of debate on exactly how I, to I, set I, yeah. up that scene and where they were going to cut it and how much they were going to sh- like. There's there's a lot surrounding what went into that, and yeah. so we'll talk about that a lot when we get to and passion. I think knowing that that happened, you know, like knowing that Jenny was the one he targeted. When you're looking at this episode, she's the one who is who is standing up for Angel to her mm-hmm. uncle. Mm-hmm. So she's the one who's saying, you know, he's good. He helped me out, and and she's she's actually trying to like help him and Buffy and help him escape. So it makes it that much worse to us as audience members because we're like Jenny. Jenny believed in him, mm-hmm. and then this is what he did to her, and even. Until that episode, she's trying to help him. Mm-hmm. She is trying to help him get his soul back. So even then, even after he loses his soul, she still believes in him and she still wants him to be good. Like she could have gone down the road of, oh, well, now he's evil. But it's such a good parallel of how good Jenny is as a person that she's still going to try to make it right. Angelus lights a cigarette, taking a drag as Spike says, this is great. It's so great. Drusilla says everything in her head is singing. They're a family again. She lets Angelus help her down from the table she'd been standing on, saying, 
They'll feed and they'll play. She leans into Spike for the second part. He says it made him sick seeing Angelus being the Slayer's lapdog. That causes Angelus to growl, grabbing Spike before kissing him on the head. Have I mentioned how delightful I find Angelus? Yeah, I, I do love Angelus. Spike laughs and Drew asks how this happened. Angela says they wouldn't believe him if he told him. What does it matter? Spike says the important thing is he's back and now it's four against one. He likes those odds. With a psst, Drew tells Angela <laughs> that they're going to destroy the world. Does he want to come? <laughs> yeah, the world. Uh, see, he's more interested in the Slayer. Spike points out that she's in the world. So, you know, that works out. Angela says to give him that night, to lay low for a night. He promises by the time they go public, the Slayer won't be anything near a threat. Spike says he really has a yen to hurt this girl. She made him feel like a human being. That's not the sort of thing one easily forgives. We return to the library where it seems everyone except Buffy is in hardcore research mode. Cordelia's reading a book while pacing about. Xander lays across the checkout counter reading. Giles is in his office and Willow is on the phone trying to talk Buffy down as she wonders why Angel still hasn't made contact. Aww. So here's something I just noticed. Cordelia's all in on the research here, right? Mm-hmm. Where was she when they, she, they were researching the judge last episode? Like she, from the party, she never goes back with them to the the library. Maybe she cheerleading things. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it was probably because of a scheduling conflict with charisma, but yeah. we'll, we'll say Cordy had something else to do. Either way, she's there now. She's one of the team. Willow tells Buffy she's sure Angel has a plan. No, she doesn't know what the plan is. She's not <laughs> in on the plan. It's his plan. No, don't say that. Angel's not dead. Only half listening, Xander tells Willow to say hi for him. <laughs> but she, rightfully so, ignores him before assuring Buffy that they'll be there and hanging up. Say hi for him, really? <laughs> Xander asks what the word is, and Willow says not much. Buffy's checked everywhere, but there's no sign of Angel. She even bit up, beat up Willie the Snitch a few times. It's like Aww. Angel's vanished. Willie. Giles, Willie. clearly being the only person to remember season one, <laughs> <laughs> says he does do that right <laughs> like this isn't unheard of i love that well <sighs> yeah but willow says she's extra awake this time probably because of the dreams giles asks if she's coming to join them and willow says yeah she's just stopping at home first slamming the book he's been reading shut Xander says there's not a nothing he heads back into the stacks to check with Cordy, who says all she found is the stuff they already know no weapon forged took armies to stop him yada 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 Xander says they still need to find a weak spot, and Courtney says they're not going to find it here. He moves closer to her, apologizing for snapping. She says she's reeling from that new experience. <laughs> he says he was crazed. He didn't know what he was saying. Yeah, because he was ready to march off and die for his beloved Buffy. He'd never die for her. Aww. He says he'd die from her. Does that count? <laughs> no. He says, can't they just kiss and make up? No, she doesn't want to make up, but she's okay with the other part. <laughs> Which leads us to the kissing. Kissing that in the script is described as they haven't their big smooching. <laughs> and that is sadly witnessed by a very heartbroken Willow. Yeah. She immediately so flees the library with Xander following. Stopping in the hall, she says she knew it. She knew it. Not in the sense that she had any idea, but she knew <laughs> something was going on. They've been fighting way too much. It's unnatural. Xander says he knows it's weird, but weird? Weird? It's against all laws of God and man. It's Cordelia. Remember the We Hate Cordelia Club? 
of which he is the treasurer. <laughs> I love that Xander's treasurer of that club. Uh, but I love that it's a it's a club of two and they have the treasurer. Right. It was probably oh, a club wait, of three. Jesse was probably in the club. Yeah, right? yes. it was probably a club yes. of three. Justice for Jesse. Justice for, for Jesse. Xander oh. says he was going to tell her, and Willow wonders what stopped him. Could it have been shame? <laughs> Xander stops her saying she's overreacting. It's just kissing. It doesn't mean anything. Except that it does. It means he would rather be with someone he hates than be with her. Aww. This moment, the first time this aired, this so gutted me. It's so it heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, I, all I wanted was for Willow and Xander to be together. And I mean, I loved Oz, but I just, I kept holding out hope. Yeah, I think one, we're all also just heartbroken whenever Willow is heartbroken. Oh, yeah. Even. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, like, it's it's definitely because when you look at it from Willow's perspective, this is Cordy, the person who did nothing but make fun of them for so much of their lives. Right. So to have her best friend, even, you know, if he'll never like her in that way, get together with the person... Yeah, the person who made fun of them all. Made fun yeah. of them. Yeah. It's a betrayal. But like watching it as as I'm older, I love Cordy and Xander. Like, I do. I, I, I do too. love them together. I do so, too. There is a little bit about the Xander-Cordy romance in the commentary. Um, the creator talks about how they are the perfect high school couple because A, they appear to be so super wrong for each other and yet have to have one another. And B, because they show that in high school, no one is who they are forever. Exactly. People change, alliances change, and sometimes they dissolve. And that is that is one thing I love. <clears throat> I And that was another thing that I always say, um, you know, how I'm always saying Buffy is more realistic of high school experiences. Mm-hmm. Because you never, like, they have these shows showing, like, so-and-so is the popular kid. So-and-so is the this. So-and-so is the that. These lines are never exactly. so cleanly drawn mm-hmm. in real no. life. Mm-hmm. So having Cordy both be popular and have an interest in Xander and be part of the Scooby gang, I think is more realistic than some other oh, absolutely. high school. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I always said, like, I know in some high schools you do have more of <clears throat> lines drawn. But, like, in my high school, the popular kids were in band. The popular kids did the musicals. The popular kids were smart. Like, everybody was well-rounded. So we didn't have those lines drawn as clearly as a lot of things. And that's why I loved Buffy, because it did show that everybody interacts with each other. And you may not be best friends with them, but because everybody has such different interests and, you know, work together so much you are friendly with a lot more people and that's again what i like about buffy is that and cordelia is growing in so many of these shows people don't evolve they just stay who they are yeah yeah and that that's something that's something i also appreciate about the show is that like they have characters evolve and i also think one of the things i loved about buffy too was that even if people you know might have their little groups that they hang out with or ever whatever there are certain collective experiences that can bring Mm -hmm. you together so there's a you know there's a moment in prom 
where yeah. this is one of my favorite moments in the series where they all kind of acknowledge, oh, you helped us out. And like, we yes. went through all this weird shit. Yes. And, and I think that um, so many times people are delineating like, oh, these groups hang out, but there can be a collective experience mm-hmm. that happens to the yep. whole school. Yep. Yeah. And that's, 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 again, you bring that up, you know, everybody acknowledges all the weird shit that goes on. And, you know, so many times Buffy feels like people don't know what she's done. People don't notice. So that moment in prom is great because it does show that they know what Buffy has done for them. They don't know the extent of why it's happening or why she's the one that's always there but they acknowledge that she saved so many of them. Also, just all the kudos given to Allison in this scene. Oh, the blend I of emotion love, and comedy. The big eyes, the expression. She was just, she's perfect. She's so like, yeah, like she's like, no, no, why? That's like her whole, her whole facial expression and just how she goes through all the different emotions of being mad and upset and sad and angry and just, cycling through it i think this is why they you know they always have allison in those situations wait yeah she's so compelling when she gets hurt we talk about we talk about it so many times she just and you feel and you feel sad for her yeah like she like because she just has these big emo like eyes full of emotions like so many times actors a lot of times it doesn't quite reach their eyes Mm mm-hmm but with her, like you look into those big eyes and you want to cry right along with her and be like, yeah, Xander, you're such a jerk. Don't be, don't, like, don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk, Xander. But, you know, we still like Xander, but, you know. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's the thing is like people have multifacets. Like yep. all of these characters, maybe not. Well, actually, no, Willow does do evil stuff at some point. Like, oh, all she of does. These- yeah. All of these characters, you know, that we love in the Scooby gang, they all do bad stuff at one point. Oh, yeah. It's to say that these characters are multifaceted. Yeah. And like we talk about like we talk about how people use every little thing that Xander does as a reason to hate him. But, you know, when we we acknowledge he's not perfect, but all like the little nitpicky stuff isn't what you complain about. Now, bewitched, bothered and bewildered. Xander. (laughs) (laughs) Xander. Xander at his worst. But you know, the thing is, I, I I haven't watched that episode recently, but I do, if I'm recalling correctly, he regrets that entire thing. Oh, like, yeah. The minute it happens and every, like, it's not what he thinks it is. He does. And and there's a, there's a great moment at the end of the episode that we'll, you know, obviously talk about when we get there between him and Buffy, where Buffy's like, I understand that you very well could have taken advantage of me and you did not. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like once he realized what he did, like he was a gentleman, like he realized that, oh shit, I messed up. Yeah, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. We go from there to Buffy heading up the front walk of her house. She goes to the door, stops, peers in, and then decides to just leave, heading to Angel's, letting herself yeah. in. They were going to, the scene that happens later in Angel's uh, apartment, they were going to have on the front lawn of Buffy's house, and it just wasn't working. Yeah, there's a there's a part later on where Buffy says something about like when she was at the house, and, I, and, and when you first watch it, you're like, oh, she's just 
keeping up the lie that she didn't see it. And then you realize that, no, she was literally supposed to be at her house. Yeah, yeah. So it it just, they, they forgot to go through and change all the references in the script. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So she goes to Angel's, letting herself in. She looks around. Angel's bed is made and there's a shirt laying on it that I guess wasn't there earlier. So maybe, just maybe, behind her, Angelus walks to the chair or whatever he hung his chains on. <laughs> he puts them on as Buffy turns and sees him. Relieved, she runs to him, hugging him tightly and drawing him in for a kiss. She says she was so worried. Where did he go? He's been around, had stuff to do, but he just left. Yeah. Did she really think he was going to stick around after that? <sighs> She's got a lot to learn about men, but then she proved that last night. Buffy doesn't understand. Was, was she not good? Angela says they don't have to talk about it. It happened. It's done. Fucking men. Again, Buffy asks if it was her. She was great, really, like a pro. He just doesn't see why they need to make a big deal out of it. It was a good time, nothing more. But but what? What did she think? There would be bells ringing, fireworks, choirs of dulcet little birdies. It's not like he hasn't been there before. He goes to brush his stray hair or something away from her face, and she tells him not to touch her. He says he should have known she couldn't handle it. He begins to walk away, and she calls after him. Angel. He stops and she tells him she loves him. In response, Angel gives her a sort of finger guns. <laughs> Love you too. And says he'll call. He leaves and Buffy is left standing there crying. Oh, Buffy. Point of note, the creator felt like an absolute monster I, writing yeah. this scene. Yep. But said for being the nicest guy you'll ever meet, David plays a bastard spectacularly. Yeah. Also, yeah, he really does. The stage directions in the script for after Buffy tells him she loves him is the son of a bitch actually winks at her. <sighs> That's one thing I like about about the creator's scripts are oh, his scripts are fantastic. There's a yeah. part in the in the part where we get to the army base. I don't think I wrote it in my notes, but basically like one of the parts when Xander is like passing the extras, they're like Xander nods at them and they say nothing because they are extras. <laughs> Like, I, I love reading the scripts the creator creator wrote because he, for all he, that he is an asshole in real life, he is he is a very good writer and he's yeah. a very good creatively. Yeah. And like, but like his, like some of the, the things that he writes in his scripts are things that like I've written. Oh, yeah. In, you know, in passing. I think uh, just, just a note though, <clears throat> the reason why you don't have extras talking is because, uh, you know, the show is run by SAG and you can have non-union extras on the show, but the minute you give them a line, they become a day player and you have to, what's called Taft-Hartley them, you have right, to right. make them SAG. Yeah. So that's why they always cast SAG actors for any little speaking role that they have so that they don't have to pay union Mm -hmm. for a background player. Yeah. But what the background people are trying to do is get that Taft-Hartley. So it becomes kind of like a... There's a... um, I forget what episode of Office Ladies it is, but they talk about this because Creed Bratton... Creed was an extra. He improved a line somewhere and that's how Creed became a bigger part of the show. So they do talk about that whole like, I think it's one of the episodes where they have him on. So it might be the Halloween one when they were trying to decide like who was to be fired. And it talks, he talks about like, yeah, I just improvised a line one day and then I got to stay. (laughs) (laughs) It's very rare, but it happens. 
<clears throat> and especially with the office, because they had, you know, it's like you didn't have that many extras on that set because you had to make it look like an office. So yeah, you so couldn't just it, have random people all the time. Yeah. Well, you do in the first like season and a half, there's like random people walking around like in the back, because obviously there's got to be more than these like five employees. Right. And you're just like, who is that random person? And then like, <laughs> as we get later on, you never see them again. Right. <laughs> In a motel room somewhere, Uncle Enyos lectures Jenny on vengeance. She says she's been faithful, that she served him and their people. He tells her that for the modern man, vengeance is a verb. Payback, commerce, something done in exchange for something else. But not with them. To their people, vengeance is a living thing. It passes through generations. It commands. It kills. Jenny tells him that she did as she was instructed. She watched Angel. She tried to keep him and the Slayer apart, but there were other factors at play. Things and powers they cannot control. Enyus tells her they control nothing. They are not wizards. (laughs) They merely play their part. Jenny tries to explain that Angel could be of use to them, that he may be the only chance they have at stopping the judge. Her uncle tells her it's too late for that, that Angel was never meant to live as a human, that he was only meant to suffer, and that if for one moment the soul inside him stopped plaguing his thoughts, well, it would be gone. Jenny says if that's true, if that moment has already happened, then Angelus is back. But maybe, her uncle says, it was meant to be. Jenny says Buffy loves Angel, and now he counters she will be forced to kill him. They really put a lot on one single woman. Ugh. But I also think, you know, okay, we're, we're, uh, elder millennials. <laughs> I like uh, the way you put that, Jackie. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's yeah. true. We're, I like to call it the OG millennial. Yeah. Um, but we're the DuckTales generation. Yes, we're elder millennials. Oregon, I like Oregon Trail generation too. I like the Oregon Trail generation. Yeah, that makes sense. But, um, the... You know, this kind of looking back onto it encapsulates the way I feel about boomers where they're like, we must do this thing that we've always done because generations before us have done this. And then we're like, but why are we doing that thing? And they're like, because it's what has always been done. Yeah. So, I mean, (laughs) even though it's kind of like hokey and goofy, I do think there's a realistic aspect to it. Yeah. Like you do have some older people who are like, we must do this thing that we've always done and never question it. And then Jenny's like, but why? Why? why I know. That's what that? I love about Jenny. She's like, what? But, but why? Why are we, why are we doing it like this? Like, why are we? And the thing is, it's like, why are we not informing people of what could happen? Like, yes, you know, we don't, we don't want him to, we want him to keep suffering. Okay. We don't, you know, we want him to not lose his soul. But why are we not telling maybe Buffy and Angel that, hey, this is a thing that's going on? We could have prevented a lot. I know. But Jenny also because says later she didn't and we know what would happen. Yeah. Circle. Yeah. What? But Jenny also says later she, she yeah. didn't know what would happen. Yeah, she didn't know. But still, be, so no one told Jenny. No one told Jenny. Yeah. So Jenny's supposed to do this and thing. And needs to stop being such a boomer. <laughs> I, think right. I think he's older than a boomer. I think he's. Well, I mean, a, yeah. He was at the time yeah. older than a boomer, you know. Mm. Jenny tells him that this is insanity. People are going to die. I love Jenny. <laughs> they will, yes. But it is not justice they serve. Oh no, it is vengeance. Ugh. Gathering her purse, Jenny slams out of the room. All right, 
We're going to talk about how very flawed this whole curse is. <laughs> yes, let's I do that. Get you want Angel to suffer. But why wouldn't the curse be something like, if he experiences one moment of happiness, he will suffer the death of a thousand sons? Why would you ever let Angelus resurface? That's the thing. Like I know, I, I know the answer is plot. Yes. But this just seems like a bad idea all yeah, around. Yeah, they were like, we had a murderous guy and we made him non-murderous, but we have an option to make him murderous again. Seems like a flawed logic. It really is. It really is. Like, why? Yeah, we've talked about it so many times with this curse. Like, why would his, if he's happy, why would his soul go away? Like, it should be if he is happy. It should kill him if he's happy. It should kill him if he's happy. Yeah. So, and then the creator apparently admits this because in his commentary, he does admit the curse doesn't make sense. That Jenny having been there and doing nothing makes no sense. He said this scene was him literally tying a lot of loose ends together. Yeah. And while he did okay, the the curse will will just forever make me angry. Because it's just, it's a bad plan. It is. It's a terrible plan. But at least he admits- You know, the way I would have fixed this- This is what I do a lot when I read or watch TV shows when something annoys oh, yes. me. I'm like, how is the way, how would I have fixed this? The way I would have fixed this is the curse is that he dies, right? Mm-hmm. So they set up this curse that if he experiences one moment of true happiness, he dies. But they did something wrong with the curse that it actually ends up making Angel come back. Yeah. So their intent was for him to die. But what happened was they did the magic wrong. Yeah. Like, that's how, I mean, and that's an easy fix. Can yeah, we, that would have, can that we also, sense. can we also talk about how they set it up that the, his one moment of true happiness was having sex? Well, so this, I mean, I guess if you haven't had sex for like centuries. So this has been talked about a lot. Um, I don't remember if it's ever officially addressed, but I do know that like every other week, something pops up on my Buffy groups on Facebook that's like, well, then why didn't he become Angelus when Connor was born? Doesn't he love his son? And so it was like... Because his because Connor is the worst character on Angel. Like, <laughs> yes. He does not love his son. No shade to Vincent Carthreiser, who is a good actor. I, I love just him. Do not yeah, like that character. No, he's such a good actor, but yeah, Connor is awful. <laughs> so a lot of people point out that, like, well, being a parent, you're filled with happiness, but there's also a lot of anxiety involved. Oh, can I tell you about how how being a parent is not true happiness? <laughs> And so some people say that, like, yes, they used the sex because that was, like, not morality lesson, but that was was the life lesson they were trying to teach. Yeah. But that it was, like, in that moment, Angel was able to forget everything. And he was just wrapped up in the fact that there was this girl who really loved him and loved him despite, I mean, because she knows, she knows at this point, like, loves him despite the fact he wasn't jealous and she still wants to be with him. And Mm -hmm. that was what the happiness was before anybody thinks I don't love my child. <laughs> no, we don't think that. He goes on record as a bad parent. No, we all know you love Tadpole. I, I love him. He is. He's a. He's a good kid. 
<laughs> but I am not truly happy all the time. <laughs> he does not troll you like like my nephew did to my mother. My mother calls me yesterday and tells me that she was trying to get John Robert's shoes on. And he's telling her that they're too small and his feet hurt. And when she's getting the second one on, he's like, ha ha, I trolled you and pulls out balled up socks. From inside the shoe. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is this is what my nephew does. <sighs> he's adorable. We don't have to put up with him. That's why he's adorable. <laughs> Back at Sunnydale High, Willow walks alone in the hall. Xander coming out of what I'm guessing is the restroom. It is the restroom. And in the script, it tells us it's right off the lounge in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> he calls to her and asks where she went. She says home. Well, he's glad she came back. He says they can't do this without her. She wants him to get something straight. She doesn't like it or understand it. She doesn't want to understand it. He has some gross emotional problems and things between them are not okay. <laughs> but what's happening now is more important. So where do they stand on the judge? On a big pile of books that all say the same thing, no weapon forged took an army. Willow says, where's an army when you need it? This makes Xander pause. <laughs> Willow asks what? He says he thinks he's having a thought. Army guy. Yep, he is. Yeah, yeah, that's a thought. Now he's having a plan. That's when the lights go off. Okay, now he's having a Wiggins. <laughs> Willow asks what's going on and Xander says they should head back to the library. Angelus enters then, calling to them. Willow is immediately relieved to see him and says, thank God he's okay. Has he seen Buffy? Yeah. He asks what's up with the lights. And Xander says he thinks he has a plan. Angelus says they could talk about that later. Right now he has something to show them. He tells Xander to get the others and then tells Willow to come to him. That what he has to show her is really special. A little bit down the hall, Xander is clearly still having a Wiggins and feeling like maybe he shouldn't <laughs> have left Willow alone. He turns to go back, but Jenny gets there first telling Willow to get away from him and walk to her, all while she stands there holding a cross. Willow's confused and starts to say something about Angel being good, but he grabs her in full vamp mode. Woo! Xander bursts through the doors just about then and tells Angelus not to do that. Oh, he does that. And you want to know why? Because apparently principle number one from the very start of the show was, when in doubt, put Willow in danger. Yep. As that, like we said, she... I do want to just go back, though, to that for a moment, to that moment with Buffy in the in the room with Angel, because that moment where she says, was I not good? And she's like crying. That broke me. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, because you just feel like we had waited all this time for these two to get together. And now he's evil and he's treating her like shit. And I just... I remember feeling so heartbroken. And the fact that, that and it's so realistic that her being a teenage girl puts it all on herself. Yes. Yeah. That it's her fault. And that is the heartbreaking part of it. This whole episode right, because is just when you're heartbreaking. A teenager, yeah. You're like, you're like trying to figure out all this stuff about sexuality. Yeah. So that moment, especially being a teen when I was watching it, mm -hmm. that moment feeling like, like you did this big momentous thing. You had this huge momentous experience with someone you loved. And, and afterwards he's just acting like, well, it was whatever. And yeah. you're like, Oh, was, is something wrong with me? You know? And the worst, the worst part is she has it happen to her again later. Yeah. 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 And then, um, this this other moment is also heartbreaking in the hallway with Willow because they had all gotten to this place, even Xander, kind of, where they trusted Angel 
you know, here they had all finally warmed to him and they were like, he's part of the group. And Mm -hmm. so that's also heartbreaking, having this person who you feel was on your team suddenly turn on you. And then yes. and it's another moment where we as Xander fans like feel great that he's able to come back and protect Willow. Yes. Yes. Xander, Xander, he's a, he hurts Willow, but he's also a good Xander in this he's, episode. He's a teenage boy. He is. He's very much a teenage boy. He's, and that's, that's one thing that gets me about the Xander hate is because a lot of things that they point to is just him being a teenage boy. He is a realistic teenage boy. Willow whimpers Angel's name and Jenny says he's not Angel anymore, is he? Wrong. Angela says he is Angel at last and he has a message for Buffy. From behind him, Buffy says, then why doesn't he give it to her himself? Because it's not the kind of message you tell. It more involves finding the bodies of your loved ones. Buffy tells him that this isn't him and Angela says he thought they covered that. No, there has to be some small part of him that remembers who he is. Angela tells him to dream on schoolgirl that her boyfriend is dead. While he's saying all this, Xander has taken the cross from Jenny and is creeping up behind him. He continues and Buffy tells him to leave Willow alone. She's so cute and helpless. Yeah. Reaching Angela, Xander shoves the cross in his face and he drops Willow jerking away. Xander catches her and Angela moves to Buffy saying things are about to get very interesting (laughs) before kissing her roughly and pushing her into a wall. He then makes his exit as Willow and Xander go to check on Buffy, asking if she's okay. She doesn't answer, instead just staring at the doors Angela's exited through. In the library, Giles asks if they are absolutely certain Angel has reverted to his former self. Yeah. Xander says they're certain. Is anyone feeling not certain? <laughs> Willow tells Giles he wouldn't have believed it. Angel, he he came there to kill them. Cordelia asks what they do now, and Giles says he's leading towards a blind panic. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander. Jenny tells him not to talk that way because of the children. <laughs> and it's just such a cute little like group parrot moment. Yeah. And it makes me all the angrier about what's to come because we were robbed. I know. Yeah, we were robbed. Mom and dad, Jenny and Giles. I know. They deserve so much more. I know. I know. Giles tells her he can't help it. Things were bad enough with the judge. Angel going evil while well, he wasn't prepared for that. Jenny says none of them were. Buffy, meanwhile, is sitting at the table, staring at the clotter ring on her finger. Willow gets up and goes over to her, asking if she's okay. She shakes her head because, duh, no, she's not. Willow then asks if there's anything she can do. Buffy says she should have known that when she saw him at the house, he was different. The things he said. Picking up on that, Giles asks what he said, and Buffy turns away. Aw. It's private. I don't want to talk about sex with dad. All right. But she didn't know he had changed. Jenny continues the line of questioning, which makes Willow ask Jenny how she knew. Because she told Willow to get away from him. Jenny says she saw his face. And in Jenny's defense, even with the lights out, it was pretty easy to tell that he was in full vamp mode. Yeah, yeah. Giles says he just wishes they knew how it happened. What caused it? (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. Giles, no. Dad. Dad, no. Stop pressing, Dad. No, leave her alone. Buffy looks at him, wanting to know what he means, and Giles says there must have been something, some event that triggered the transformation, and if anyone would know, it would be Buffy. She says she doesn't know, but Giles continues to press. Did anything happen the night before? She says she can't. She needs to go. She gets up, fleeing the library, as Giles continues to call after her, causing Willow, who is watching Buffy very closely and has obviously figured out what happened, (laughs) to tell him to shut up. (laughs) Oh, Willow. Yes. Yeah. Dad. No, we're not. We're not talking about this with you. 
Buffy runs off and Cordelia says, this is just great. There's an unkillable demon. Angel's joined his side and the Slayer's a basket case. She says they've officially hit rock bottom. Xander says he has a plan and Cordelia says, never mind. They've hit a lower place. (laughs) (laughs) Ignoring her, Xander continues. He doesn't know what to do about Angel, but he does think he has a way to deal with the judge. So what's the plan? Xander tells Willow he's going to need Cordy for this and that he'll he'll need wheels. Cordelia starts to volunteer her car, but Xander says they're going to need something bigger. Willow says she'll get Oz. He has a van. The whole scene is just, it's very tense and very awkward and my heart just continues to hurt for poor Willow. Mm-hmm. Cordelia asks if she gets to know about the plan that she's part of. And Xander says, no, if she knew, she wouldn't go along with it. Just meet him at Willow's <laughs> house in half an hour and wear something trashy. Well, er. trashy. Er. Er. They head out and Giles, now along with Willow and Jenny, says he doesn't know what to do about Buffy. Jenny says, provided they don't attack tonight, she thinks they should just let her be. Willow agrees. Giles says he can only imagine what she's going through. And with a slow shake of her head, Willow says, no, he can't. Willow can, though. So, like, okay. So, Willow can definitely, I think, understand what she's going through, at least to a small extent. Because what Buffy was feeling after that first conversation with Angel has to be akin to what Willow felt after the confrontation with Hyena Xander. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, Buffy's situation has this whole added intensity of the relationship and sex. But Willow had been in love with Xander for 10 years when he said those things to her. And I know there's no good way to, like, fit such a scene in. But I'd like to think that somewhere off screen, they, they had a little bonding moment about that. Yeah, yeah. We move to the factory where Angelus is telling the others what transpired. Spike and Drew both listen, Drew tending to Miss Edith. Angelus tells them they should have seen her face. It was priceless. So he didn't kill her then. (laughs) No. (laughs) This is why Spike is smarter. Because Angel, I mean, Angel still has a deep obsession for Buffy where I'm not sure that he actually wants to kill her. Oh, he wants, Drew even says he wants to hurt her like he hurt Drew. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Spike gets that he hasn't been in the game a while, but they do still kill people. It's kind of their resendetra. Drusilla says Angelus doesn't want to kill her. He wants to hurt her like he hurt Drew. No one knows him like Drew does. Spike says she just better not get in their way, and Angelus tells him not to worry about it. He does. Getting up, Angelus says Spike doesn't get it. He tried to kill her and he failed. Just look at him. He's a wreck. She's stronger than any slayer he's ever faced. All right, hold on. Before we continue, I would like to point out to Mr. Big Talker over here (laughs) that while Spike has killed two Two slayers and Jealous has killed zero. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe he should tone down the advice just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, as far as as far as Angelus Angelus is concerned right now, Spike is in a wheelchair and can't do anything. So even though he has killed two slayers in the past, he's not really equipped to do much right now. And, and you know what? The the slayers of the past, like Buffy's a different League of Slayer. We keep talking about how she is very different than all those who came before. But still, I just think somebody who hasn't killed any Slayers shouldn't really be given (laughs) advice on how to kill Slayers. True story. (laughs) Yes. True story. (laughs) Anyway, he says brute force isn't enough. That you have to work from the inside. To kill this girl, you have to love her. At her house, Buffy enters her bedroom, pushing the door shut behind her. She moves to her dresser, seeing the cross Angel gave her the night they met, 
And that plus the Claudia is just too much. She falls to the bed sobbing and we can assume she cried herself to sleep because we enter another dream. One that starts with a replay of what transpired between them, a montage that ends with Angel telling Buffy he loves her. Then we get a flash of Angelus before moving to the cemetery where Angel approaches a grave. We never see whose grave it is, though the script tells us it's Angel's. But Buffy stands at the base of it with random people scattered around, one of them dressed as a widow. Angel tells her that she needs to know what she's to see, and she takes a look at the people. The widow lifts her veil to reveal Jenny. I know this whole thing, Jenny being in the dreams, is tied to Jenny's secret, but I'm trying to remember if we, like, kept thinking the whole grave thing was going to be important in the fact that she was, like, dressed like a widow. Like, I'm trying to remember if we back in the, like, back in the day thought Giles was going to be in danger. Yeah, no, I don't think I thought Giles was going to be in danger. I thought, I think I thought it was just all, you know, symbolism yeah. and things like that. I it's just not- really wish some of the old Buffy sites from the 90s were still accessible so yeah. I could find oh, all, God. like, the old theories that would be amazing around i'll have to i'll have to do some deep diving see if i could find something but speaking of weird uh the sounds you hear in the sex montage are not sarah and david i saw i read that too they are the creator and cindy rabidou who is apparently the sound editor apparently this was the first sex scene the creator had ever shot yeah. And he was too embarrassed to ask the actors to do the vocalizations and breathing. Yeah. <laughs> That is kind of cute. Buffy awakes and we immediately go to Sunnydale High where the music playing lets us know that Buffy is on a mission. (laughs) She stalks through the halls heading straight for Jenny's classroom and not even caring that there is a class going on. Heads right for the front door and slams her down on a desk wanting to know what she knows. Some guy in the back asks if he should get the principal and Giles, who just happens to be there, says no, no, he's got it. They're all dismissed. Class over. (laughs) Buffy wants to know if she did it. Did she change him? Giles tells her to calm herself, but Buffy won't. Did she know? Did she know this was going to happen? Giles tells her she can't just go around accusing people. But Jenny (laughs) says, no, she didn't know. Exactly. Buffy stares at her and Giles, Giles looks at her as if he can't believe it, as if he doesn't know her. And I hate it. I I hate hate it so so much. She says she was told she was sent to watch Buffy to keep her and Angel apart. They never told her what would happen if she didn't. Giles says her name and she says she's sorry. Angel, he was supposed to pay for what he did to her people. And Buffy, what was she supposed to be paying for? Jenny swears she didn't know. If she knew before, she would have told Buffy. Buffy frowns. So it was her. (laughs) She did it. Jenny thinks so and starts to explain. But Giles interrupts saying he doesn't understand. So Jenny starts to explain again. How if Angel, even for one moment, experienced true happiness, that his soul would be gone. Giles gets that. He just doesn't get how... Buffy and Jenny both look at him and she gets it. (laughs) Finally. Oh, dad. There's a very tense moment or two of silence before Jenny says if there's any way she can help that she curse him again. Jenny tells Buffy she can't. Those magics are long gone, even to her people. Buffy says it was done once. It can be done again. It might not be too late. Curse him again. Jenny tells him that she can't. She can't help her. Well, then take her to someone who can. Again, this curse just makes no sense. This is a product of very poor planning. <laughs> that someone who can just happens to be Jenny's uncle Enyos. But oh no, seems Angelus has gotten there first. Mm-hmm. Enyos is, of course, expecting Buffy. And so as the door opens, he says he knew Jenny would bring her. That he supposes she wants answers. Angela says, nah, but thanks anyway. 
Turning to face the vampire, Enos realizes the severity of his situation. There was originally more to this scene that I'm guessing got cut for time, as in his commentary, the creator says it was pretty clear to the audience what happens the moment Angelus enters that room. But the continued scene does suggest that Enos was tortured before he was killed and adds on to the fact that the curse makes no goddamn sense. (laughs) As Angelus mentions giving him an escape clause, Enos says the day he stops suffering, he is no longer worthy of a human soul. Well, then wouldn't that make the soul a gift and not a curse? (laughs) Dumb, dumb, dumb curse. This is just going to bother me for a while. Dumbest, dumbest curse. As is the fact that we go from there to the military base. But now that I'm like reading this back, the military base scene should have happened before Buffy's dream because they were going from the library to Willow's. Just and now sh- clearly sh- Buffy, sh- this is the next day. Sh- <laughs> I just noticed that actually in reading this. Just okay. go with it. We're going to hop over to a very busy military brace. In reality, the same warehouse where they shoot everything. Right. <laughs> Soldiers march about doing drills in the rain as Oz's van pulls up alongside a warehouse whose outside wall is conveniently not within the confines of the fence that supposedly surrounds the place. As the van stops, Xander tells Willow and Oz to wait there, that once they see the window open to get the ladder and he'll pass them down the package. Oz says okay, and Willow tells Xander and Cordy to be careful. Cutting away some of the fence at the end, Xander peels it back enough that he and Cordy can sneak through. He says security really is a joke at this place, and he should probably report them. (laughs) Cordelia wants to know who she's supposed to be again. A girl. Does she think she can handle that? (laughs) They approach the door to the armory when a soldier comes up behind them, telling them to identify themselves. Right the hell now. Xander says he's Private Harris with the 33rd. The 33rd is off on maneuvers. They are, yeah, he's on leave. And he spends his leave sneaking around the armory. And who is Cordelia? Cordelia says hi, and that she's not a soldier. (laughs) Stepping away, closer to the soldier, Xander says he's giving her the tour. That he knows how girls are. They like to see the big guns, gets them all hot and bothered. Can he just cut him some slack? Why should he? Well, if he does, then Xander won't tell the colonel that his boots aren't regulation, his post was left unattended, and oh yeah, he holds his gun like a sissy girl. (laughs) The soldier tells him he has 20 minutes. Xander says he only needs five, and then begs him to forget he said that. (laughs) Opening the door, he ushers Cordy inside. Once inside, Cordy asks what all that was, what was all that, and who is he? Xander says, remember Halloween, how he got turned into a soldier? Yeah. Well, he still remembers all of it. He knows procedure, ordinance, access codes. He knows the layout of this space. And he's pretty sure he could put together an M16 in 57 seconds. Cordy says she's kind of impressed. So we talked about this a lot in the Halloween episode, but we're just going to talk about it again now, just really briefly, because we now have textual evidence that everyone transformed on Halloween remembers the entire experience. Yeah. Xander remembers all of his soldier knowledge, which means Buffy definitely retained some mostly useless knowledge of the 18th century life. (laughs) Could you imagine? That would be, that's so, it's so funny to think about that. Xander got all of this like army military knowledge and Buffy just gets stuck with knowledge (laughs) of being a 17th century. Yeah. Girl. But that also means Willow remembers what it felt like to die. Yeah. And I also feel bad for like all the other people who got transformed into weird things. Yeah, like anyone right. transformed into a vampire or a demon, like if they hurt someone, they remember that. Yeah. And yep. so like that I mean there's a reason Giles says what Ethan did was cruel. Yeah. 
<sighs> Cordelia says they should find the thing and get out of there. While Xander looks at boxes on the shelf, Cordelia hops up to sit on one of the bigger crates. Does looking at guns really make girls want to have sex? Maybe. He doesn't know. Well, <laughs> does looking at guns make him want to have sex? He's 17. <laughs> Linoleum makes him want to have sex. <laughs> I love that line. Yep. Yep. Back in the van, Willow says she wishes they would hurry up. Oz wants to know if they steal weapons from the army a lot. <laughs> well, they don't have cables, so they have to make their own fun. <laughs> he gets it. Silence fills the van, and then Willow asks Oz if he wants to make out with her. His little what Aww. following that is adorable. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Has no idea on earth where that came from. <laughs> she says, never mind, to forget it, but then asks, well, does he? Oz tells her that sometimes when he's in class, not thinking about class, because that would never happen, he thinks about <laughs> kissing her and everything Aww. stops. Oh, he's so good. It's like freeze frame, Willow kissage. Willow's all smiles until Oz says he's not going to kiss her. What? Why? Because freeze frame. Aww. Oz explains to the casual observer, it would look like she's trying to make Xander jealous or even the score or something. And that's empty. But see, in his dreams... When he's kissing her, she's kissing him. Oh, It's okay. He can wait. Oh, I love him so much. I know. I dare anyone to see the way Willow is looking at Oz in this scene and say that it's not love. Yeah. Xander, you can write off as infatuation, but this, this is love. Oh, yeah. And this look right here. I I hate retconning of Willow being bi. It just really makes me, like, mad because there's there's so much i mean it's getting better now but there's so much like by erasure in oh the, yeah the, yeah you and know, I mean, in they, the had to, they had to they out of the network at the time but the people now who are just like well this is what she says on screen and this is what and i'm like no no you have to take into a fact into account what they intended and right. what and the fact is and also not just what they attend what they intended but also what the time period was in the in this time period you were either gay or straight mm-hmm. they did not allow there to be you know bisexual characters so there it was a very one way or the other right but yeah the fact that they erase willow's relationship with oz and a lot of people and a lot of people erase Willow's relationship with Oz. And it just, you know, it bother it bothers me so much that her past relationship means nothing to a lot of people. And she loved she did love Oz and Oz was so good. So apparently the entire point of this scene um, was not just to show the moment Willow fell in love with Oz. And that's very much what the point of the scene was. But the point of the scene was also to have the audience fall in love with Oz. Because apparently there were a lot of people, like 15-year-old Mary, who were very, very angry that Willow <laughs> and Xander were not together. And so this was very much to be like, but look, there is this other person. He's that, so, like, he's so good. He's good. Yeah. Also, Oz is apparently based on someone the creator knew in college. Hmm. He's a good dude. Oz I'm not sure I dude. trust the creator's friends from college, but uh, <laughs> I do like Seth Green. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before she can respond to Oz, the window opens and Oz says they're up. He gets out of the van and Willow continues to just stare after him, completely mm. in love. Mm. She's so smitten. Jenny, Buffy, and Giles have finally arrived at Enuis's Mattel room, but they're too late. He's dead, laid out on the bed foreshadowing, mm. with a message written above it. Was it good for you too? Ugh. 
Giles tells Buffy he's doing this deliberately, that he's trying to make it harder on her. Buffy says he's only making it easier. (laughs) She knows what she has to do. Kill him. Interesting enough, Jenny was originally supposed to die in this episode. So as much as we hate what is to come, we did at least get to hold on to her for a few more episodes. I also think it would have been too much. There's so much going on in this episode. It's like we wouldn't have had time to mourn her or appreciate her. Yeah, because the way, like, as much as I hate that episode... The way that it is done really is set up well. Right. And that's also part of a place where it feels like it's a point of no return for Angel. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Angelus returns to the factory just as the judge says he's ready. About time. Drusilla goes to Spike giving him a kiss goodbye as Angelus says it's a shame he can't come. Really. Spike reminds him that he won't be in the chair forever and asks what happens if Angelus's girlfriend shows up. Walking off, he says he'll give her a kiss before telling the judge that he looks spiffy. Spiffy? <laughs> <laughs> They leave Spike watching. I I love Angelus. I love that he uses Spiffy. <laughs> I love I love the different ways that Mary talks about Angel and Angelus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. So according to James Marsters, this was supposed to be the beginning of the end for Spike. Mm-hmm. Um, the original plan was for Angelus to kill Spike, steal Drusilla away. Like I said, I have a lot of questions. I want to see the original storyboards for the rest of the show because like that would have changed everything. But as we know, Spike was so beloved, they kept him. And so James says that like they developed this relationship between Spike and Angelus with Spike often acting like the jealous little brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it's a, it's a dynamic that works very well. Yeah, it is. We return to the library where Xander and Oz are putting the package they got from the base on Giles's desk. Xander tells Buffy happy birthday and says he hopes she likes the color. <laughs> Buffy tells Giles they'll hit the factory first, but if they're not there, then they need to figure out where they'd go fast. Giles opens the crate as Jenny appears in the doorway asking if there's anything she can do. Buffy tells her to get out. She says she only wants to help, but Giles tells her that Buffy said to leave. Jenny looks absolutely devastated by this and goes as Buffy looks to Giles, surprised but relieved that he took her side over Jenny's. Why is there so much heartbreak in this episode? I know, I know. This I know. episode is so heartbreaking. Ugh. As Giles turns to watch the spot where Jenny just was, Xander asks Buffy if she wants him to show her how to use it. Yes. Yes, she does. So, not only is Xander the only reason Buffy is even alive right now, mm-hmm. not only is he 90% of the time the first person to rush in into certain danger aside from Buffy, but he is now 110% of the reason they defeated the judge. But yeah, Xander's trash. Xander's trash and serves no purpose. The factory is a bust, like they thought, empty aside from Spike watching from the shadows. Buffy says she knew it. They need to figure out where they would go. Somewhere there's a lot of people. Willow suggests the bronze, but Xander tells her it's closed. Cordy says there's not a lot of other choices in Sunnydale. Also, LOL for the bronze being closed for once in its life. <laughs> right? Right. Seriously, the bronze is everything else. Right. People aren't going to exactly line up to be slaughtered. Oz says <laughs> if he was going to line up, he knows where he'd go. The mall! Or more specifically, the part of the mall that houses the movie theater. Let's go to the mall, everybody. <laughs> As we do see people line up at a concession stand. Fun fact, what they used for the mall was actually a closed Robinson May department store in Los Angeles. And they built a little moat around the set to catch all the water from the sprinklers. Oh. That was going to go off in a bit. <laughs> 
The doors at one of the exits open, and Angelus, Drew, and the judge stride in along with four vampire minions. The judge burns up the closest person to him, and Angelus tells the boys to guard the exit. Never mind one of those minions is a lady. <laughs> like, way to be sexist, Angelus. I know. She's one, she's one of the boys. Elsewhere, Buffy and the others step off an elevator. Heading down the corridor, she tells the others to keep back. Damage control only. Take out any lesser vamps that can. She'll take care of the Smurf. Smurfs! <laughs> Okay, so we did mention how Marty thought the judge looked a bit like a Smurf. Right. Yep. Not all that intimidating and kind of silly. Uh, thanks to recent movies, I know most people know the Smurfs, but explaining pop culture is kind of what we do. Yeah. So the Smurfs actually began as a Belgian comic in the 1950s. There are over a hundred characters, and each takes their name from some sort of adjective describing them. They became part of American pop culture in 1981 when they joined the lineup of Saturday morning cartoons. The show aired from 1981 to 1989, with reruns being shown until the summer of 19. 19- Even now, it can still be seen on channels such as Boomerang. The franchise extended to movies, both animated and live action, music, ice capades, even a presence in theme parks such as King's Dominion. As a side note, our drama teacher in high school kind of looked like Gargamel. (laughs) He did look like Gargamel. (laughs) Ugh, he was the worst. La, 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 la. We used to play that when he would walk into a room because we were assholes. I forgot the Smurfs were was that old. Yeah, this like 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 the 1950s. Like I I knew it was old, but oh, such a weird show. (laughs) From (laughs) from his place on the stairs, the judge begins sending power out, attempting to burn all those present. Angelus looks excited. Drew's beyond pleased, but then a crossbow bolt strikes her in the chest. Looking down the corridor, he asks, "Who would dare?" Why, Buffy, of course. Standing Mm -hmm. atop the concession stand, crossbow in hand. She says she thinks she got his attention. The judge calls her a fool, says no weapon forged can defeat him. Well, that was then. She hands (laughs) down the crossbow and takes the rocket launcher. (laughs) This is now. (laughs) Knowing they're about to be in trouble, Angel and Drew exchange looks. Time to make their exit. Yep. The judge asks what that does as everything goes into slow motion. Drew and Angel diving out of the way as the small missile hits him straight on causing him to explode. Little pieces rain down as Angelus and Drew hit the floor. Drew extremely upset and whimpering as she runs off, her fun ruined. (laughs) Handing back the weapon, Buffy says, it's the best present ever. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. What do you get the girl that has everything? I never loved her more than that moment when she's holding the rocket launcher. Oh, I know. Except for maybe in season three when she's holding the sickle and hammer. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Because you just want retribution at this point for all the shitty shit that Angel has done. So the moment she has the rocket launcher and she says, you know, he's like, no weapon forged. And she's like, that was then, this is now. You're like, yes. Yes. And and she she just looks like so awesome. This tiny little girl. Holding a big ass rocket launcher. Right. Well, also because you have to think of the times, like, like I said, there was no like teenage superhero really that you would be like, oh yeah, like we're, they're not going to give a teenage girl this kind of role. Exactly. Where she gets to to do something cool and be the hero. Not that I'm saying that teenagers should be using rocket launchers. I'm just (laughs) saying that. 
We have to make sure we have a disclaimer. Right. We do not condone the use of underage rocket launcher use. Yes. Exactly. But I'm just saying, like, you, it, it was always the guys doing the cool fighting stuff. Yeah. Unless you're talking about, like, adult sci-fi. Yeah. Well, and that's what we, that's what we said before about Buffy, is that she is a teenage girl. She acts like a teenage girl. You know, she likes being pretty and cute and she wants to do all that normal stuff but then she also wants to shoot off a rocket launcher yeah teenage girls like rocket launchers too i know i know we do we just don't get to play with them xander thought she'd like it willow asks if the judges dead and buffy says they can't be sure as she climbs down she tells them to collect the pieces but keep them apart pieces i get get the the pieces pieces. Pieces. Cordelia says their job sucks. <laughs> I like the callback though to the the arm in a box thing when Oz is just standing there and he's like, uh, uh arm. <laughs> <laughs> Looking around, Buffy spots Angelus heading into the theater right as the sprinklers come on. She follows, and let us take a moment to appreciate that all the posters around them are for Quest for Camelot. Yes! A delightful musical adventure (laughs) that, oddly enough, was not yet released. (laughs) The movie, though seen on the entrance to one of the theaters here, was not actually released until May of 1998. So this was just a tiny bit of cross-promotion on Warner Brothers' Um, part. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Confronting her, Angelus asks if she knows what the worst part of all this was, pretending to love her. If he'd known how easily she'd give it up, he never would have bothered. Buffy says he's not Angel, and Angelus says it doesn't matter. What matters is she made him the man he is today. Buffy goes in for the attack, they start to fight, and we check in with the others, still collecting pieces. (laughs) Oz helpfully pointing out, arm, arm. (laughs) Buffy and Angelus keep going Angelus taunting her right up to when Buffy pulls out a stake her hand shaking a bit as she grips it tightly Angelus tells her she can't do it and unfortunately he's right she can't at least not right now she does kick him in the balls however I I love another moment where we were like yes yes before walking off saying, give her time. Giles drives Buffy home, pulling up to the house. The two sit in the car a moment as Giles tells her this isn't over. Then Angelus will target her, go after her as she is one of the things that made him feel the most human. Buffy says Giles must be so disappointed in her. And Giles says, no, no, he's not. A sentiment that clearly takes Buffy by surprise because this, this is all her fault. Giles says he doesn't believe it is. Now, if she wants him to shake his finger and tell her she acted rashly, he can, because she did. But she also loved him. And Angel had proven time and time again that he loved her. The coming months, they're going to be hard on all of them. But if it's guilt she's looking for, he's not her man. All she will get for him is his support and his respect. It's a sentiment that causes Buffy and causes me while watching it every time to break down crying. (laughs) Apparently upon watching this scene and the scene after, David Greenwald commented that Buffy has the best parents in the world. And that's an important element that Buffy has this family to return to after everything. It's why the creator will say that though the episode is called Innocence, Buffy's innocence is not lost. Mm-hmm. She remains the person she was because of Giles and Joyce, because of Willow and Xander and Cordy, and that 
That is the importance of Joyce's line coming up, that after all this, Buffy is still Buffy, Buffy is still good. Our last scene sees Joyce and Buffy together on the couch watching the 1936 movie Stowaway, (laughs) which has the kind of madcap plot you'd expect from a 1936 musical. Like, I, I can't even explain it. Just go look it up. You will not be disappointed. I love that. I love the theme of Joyce and Buffy watching old movies. I know. I know. Like we've 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 talked about it before about how she knows like has this old knowledge of like different movies. So seeing her and her and Joyce watching a weird 1930s musical is delightful. Yeah. Joyce brings coffee and cupcakes and says she's sorry she didn't have time to make Buffy a real cake. Buffy says it's fine. This is nice. And Joyce confirms that they're still going shopping on Saturday. Yeah. So how was her birthday? Did she do anything fun? Buffy says she got older. And Joyce says she still looks the same to her. She lights the candle and tells Buffy happy birthday, telling her to make a wish. Buffy says she's just going to let it burn. And so it does. It burns as Buffy leans against her mother and the lyrics of good night, my love, usher us out of the episode. The end. The end. So this is both the creator's and Christine Sutherland's favorite episode. And not not Christine's favorite to act in. That is band candy. But as a fan... As a fan, this is her favorite yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can, I can see that Band Candy was her favorite to act to in. Act in. Uh, this is also what the creator considers to be one of the most important episodes of the series. Because yep. for him, this was the episode where the show really fulfilled its mission statement. You know, we talked about that emotional resonance. resonance and, and to him, this is kind of the pinnacle of that. Mm-hmm. And it shows just how much the show had evolved from its pilot. Yep. Yeah. It definitely, yeah, this season is where things really started to shift. Oh, yeah. I mean, this season is my favorite. It's my absolute favorite season. Yeah. Yeah. Season three. So much happens in this season. Yeah. So much happens in this season. Before we we go, I do want to mention that as of recording this, we're recording on November 6th, the internet has informed me that it is the 20th anniversary of Once More With Feeling. Yay! Also, we're old. I know. We are really old. We are. I know. I had to double check that because I was like, this cannot be. It cannot have been 20 years since that episode. But yeah, 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 2001. I feel so old. I feel so old. I know. We were supposed to to be recording this the day before Halloween, but um, as you know, everyone knows we put up a hiatus notice. There was some very sad, some very personal stuff that happened. So... Thank you for everyone who bared with us during that hiatus. Obviously, by the time you hear this, life is a little bit back to normal. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) We're trying not to jinx it. We're trying. We're trying. It's been a banner year for our friend group. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's been a little rough. Trying not to jinx it. Yep. But yes, that is it for this week. Thank you all for listening. And make sure to join us next time when we take on season two, episode 15, Phases. Oh, and yeah, we're gonna we're gonna shift our focus to Willow and Oz <laughs> a little bit. Shift. We're gonna shift. Go to your corner. <laughs> Look, you said it. <laughs> Until then, check out our social media channels, all of which will be listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts, or write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. Bye.